All right. Hello. We are live, everybody, uh, here with a man who needs no introduction, biggest philosophy show on the internet, Mr. Stefan Molyneux. How are you doing, sir? I'm well. How are you guys doing on this rainy, cold, grisly Saturday? Yeah, good. <laughs> Pretty good. Still getting my morning coffee in me. I got my uh, trademark bit shoot mug here. Little, <laughs> Very nice. Little jab at the competition. I've got uh, my tea, as usual. Um, I'm actually in Texas, Stefan. Do you go by Stefan or Stefan? Which do you prefer? Master of Time, do Space, you... and Dimension is the correct Swedish pronunciation, but uh, Stefan is fine. What's, uh, we're doing this live streaming, right? What's the share link? Uh, I can throw this on Twitter. We can get some eyeballs on the cue balls. Yes. Uh, so You want to put it in the chat? I'll just throw it on Twitter. Yeah, do you want me to put it in the, uh, do you know where the the private chat is there? Oh, yeah, you do. You're there. Okay, so there's the YouTube link. I've been practicing fast typing obscenities in there for most of the morning, so <laughs> yes, I do. I do, in fact, know where it is. Ah, there we go. All right. Good. Let's throw this I on. I turned down my gain because the uh, wind is whistling not far from me. Um, I We have storms rolling, and I'm in Texas, so, um, so it's uh, quite... Quite windy and quite strange. nice. Yeah, we get hurricanes here quite frequently. So somebody on our last episode of Sex Wars had put in the comment section that we should get Stefan on to talk about the makeup wars. And I follow Steph on Twitter, so I had an inkling of what they were talking about, but I wanted to do a little bit of digging, especially after you agreed graciously to come on the show and talk to us. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I found an article here. Um, this is from a website called... An Angry, unbiased website. Angrywhitemen.org, the subtitle of which is Tracking White Supremacy. <laughs> and it says, Stefan Molyneux is railing against makeup because women have too much power. Way too much power. Okay, let's, let's throw that picture up again just so I can enjoy how I look without makeup. Uh, let's... Uh... <laughs> Let's throw it up again. Okay, so let's see here. Angry white men. Boy, nothing prejudicial. I actually have to say that I my, my major feeling of sorrow and loss with regard to this article is the poor bastard who had to go through all of my videos to find this, this, this pose. I mean, can you imagine that this is your job? Because a lot of these media companies, uh, websites and so on, they rely on interns, right? Interns is a rough totally Marxist justifying exploitation, usually of rich kids to the exclusion of poor kids. I grew up as a poor kid. I could never afford to be an intern because I had to actually put a roof over my head. But um, yeah, that's angry white men. That, of course, is uh, you put any other race in there, angry black men, and suddenly you're a racist, right? That's allowed. And, actually, uh, angry, angry black men are the white people of black people. I don't know if you've seen that. I can send you a link. No, okay. no, I'm being serious. I'm, I can't get distracted by that Mobius strip possibility right now, but perhaps we can turn <laughs> to it later. So, and you see, I'm angry and I'm railing and they put a crazy picture up there because that's what passes for intellectual debate. Look, I'm two steps away from a cartoon character when it comes to animation because a lot of the subjects that I deal with are dry and abstract epistemology and metaphysics. So if I have to put uh, a little bit of Laurel and Hardy animation into what it is that I do, why not? Why not indeed bring philosophy to life? And uh, yeah, railing against makeup. I'm just railing. 
I have no arguments uh, whatsoever. I have no reason. There's no data that I cited. No, no evidence. No studies or anything. I'm just, I'm just railing. And, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame because this is the problem with advertising. I'm fine with advertising. Like I'm a free market guy. I get that a lot of people have more time than money, and they'd rather watch ads than than spend money to get access to stuff. But this clickbait stuff is getting truly stupid. I mean, it really is getting stupid. It's like, hey, let's put a picture of a crazy guy and he's railing and he's angry. And I mean, that's just sad, really. I mean, this is a a long way from the platonic dialogues. So um, according to the article, or I guess, and probably with some degree of accuracy, there's uh, this tweet that sort of started the whole debate. Let me see if I can get this up here. Uh, is that working? So strange. Do you know that female lipstick simulates sexual arousal? Can you imagine a man showing up for a business meeting with a giant artificial boner straining at his pants, yet lipstick is perfectly acceptable in the business world? This was back in like August of last year, but I guess this is uh, uh, still an interesting topic. Yeah, I mean, wh- why not? I mean, a man's sexual arousal is a giant Freddie Mercury banana in the pants uh, boner straining at his pants. And if you walked yeah. into, and remember, lipstick is at eye level, right? So it'd be like yeah. somebody walking into a business meeting with a either a real or a giant boner, and then with a woman like three feet eye level to his crotch standing there and trying to negotiate or talk or whatever, it would be like, come on, that's really, really rude. Now, of course, sexual arousal. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen with sexual arousal, right? I mean, uh, cheeks get slightly flushed, which is the basis of rouge makeup. Uh, Lips get redder, which is the basis of of lipstick. Uh, Pupils get dilated. Eyes get slightly wider, which is the basis of mascara and the eye pop and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if the woman is putting the half orgasm face mask on and then walking into a business meeting, uh, that is not appropriate. Certainly, if a man were to be showing obvious signs of sexual arousal, uh, that would be um, that would be pretty rude. It's a reasonable question. And um, that there wasn't a lot of (laughs) there was not a lot of reasonable responses. Let's put it that way. I I will say as someone who's moved into the um, to the more professional world, um, I guess more over the over the last couple of years. Um, I do think it's weird, and I've complained about this that women, it's just a given um, that if you work in a professional environment, like an office environment, that you are required to wear makeup. Um, it's annoying, even if it's natural makeup, um, you know, minor amounts of foundation. You don't really have to wear lipstick anymore. Um, I just wear like Vaseline or lip balm, um, mascara. If you don't, people assume you're sick. Um, I got an email about five days into working. Um, at the, uh, the, I'm now independent, but the, the company that I worked for, um, I got an email, f- uh, within five days, um, about how I was dressed. I was dressed very appropriate for the job, but not for the position that I had. Um, everyone in my position, it was mostly males and they wore three piece suits and suspenders and such dressed very nicely. Um, I looked around and all the females that, um, I worked with were dressed, business casual or, um, you know, slacks and a nice shirt. So I dress like the females. And then I later found out that that's because they were client associates. They were, you know, they were um, professional, but they weren't at my level. So um, I had to wear suits. 
which is a lot more expensive than just wearing, you know, women's office attire, like, you know, kind of what I'm wearing now. Um, and I don't, I understand that there's a, there's an expectation when you're making a higher salary that you have to dress better and you have to, you know, present yourself a little better. Um, it is annoying though for women. I know a lot of women complain about it. I think nowadays, um, I, I kind of wanted to ask you what you think this, the makeup industry is driven by. If it is, uh, it sounded to me like what you were saying is that the makeup industry is being driven by women's um, decrease in fertility. And that was, I wanted to poke a couple of holes in that. I think that it's being driven by consumerism, mostly driven by consumerism. Now I do agree um, that we do have a de decrease in fertility. And I do agree that um, makeup is to mimic uh, youthfulness, fertility, orgasm. I agree with all of those things. Health, uh, the signs that we are trying to display to somebody else is that we've had like with clean, straight white teeth, with nice, shiny, long hair, um, with bright eyes, with blushed cheeks, nice red lips. We're trying to say, I have been healthy for a long period of time. I've had access to water, nutrients. Um, those are the things that we're trying to signal to a mate, um, so that we can be a healthy, healthy mother. Um, but I think that the, the, more recent makeup trend is by consumerism and women who have um, disposable income. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, there certainly is a status symbol to uh, to makeup, but to me, consumerism doesn't really answer much when it comes to why people buy things because consumerism, consumerism is just a word that we use to describe people buying stuff. So it's like, well, why are people buying more stuff? Well, because consumerism, which translates into buying more stuff, it's kind of a tautology. I don't think it adds much to the, the understanding. To me, the equation is pretty simple, and I've referred to this on my show. I was in a mall going uh, to a makeup shop with my daughter, just for funds, and there was a sign uh, over a bunch of makeup which says tools of the trade, tools of the trade. So you know, women spend can can spend hundreds of dollars a month on on not just makeup, but sort of like youthful appearance, hair dye, and and uh, these weird, crazy circumcision serums that that women put on their faces to look young. And the uh, the question is, okay, well, why do they spend it? But it's not because they're dumb, and vanity is not really much of an answer. Uh, it's because it's a good investment. Because if you look great, men will ask you out, men will buy you things, men will buy you dinners, men will propose, men will transfer 80% of their income to you while you're raising their kids. And the more makeup that you have on, or let's just say the better you look, then the higher earning mate you can get. So you invest $100, $200 a month, and then you end up with a guy who maybe makes $20,000 a year more, um, which, you know, over uh, 10 years, that's, you know, $200,000 extra that you've got in your kitty for a couple of hundred bucks, uh, maybe a month or less. So it's a pretty good investment for getting a higher earning man. And uh, it's a perfectly rational exchange of, of value. And it's a perfectly reasonable way to spend your money, given what you can make from it. Yeah, that that was a good answer. I mean, that was unacceptable for me. <laughs> That was uh, that was acceptable for you. That, that was acceptable for me. Yeah, I, I was looking to have an argument here today, but no, no. So of course, the issue is when a woman is young and uh, you know has the full bloom of youth and fertility, and eggs are popping like Old Faithful, then they don't need as much makeup. But of course, because women are trying to lock down a man after they've done university, after they've started their career, after they've had sure. their party days and their travel, and they've frankly spent quite a lot of time in the sun and turned into the very opposite of the rather ageless vampiric Nicole Kidman, 
then what happens is they have to try and lock down a man and they're competing with younger women, right? Because a man in his 30s who has a reasonable income and is reasonably decent looking and all of that is kind of like a rock star among the women who were looking to settle down. And he can date younger women usually. And so the problem is that the women are dating, uh, are competing with younger women and the younger women are offering relatively no commitment or low commitment sexual access, whereas the older women have both a requirement for monogamy and a time frame for having babies. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the makeup use is increasing along with things like uh, Botox, which is happening for women even in their 20s, because women are trying to lock down the highest value, highest commitment male at the same time as younger women who look better are offering easier or unfettered sexual access. And men, unfortunately, driven a lot more by hormones than by long-term survival of the uh, culture and so on. Uh, that is a real challenge. And I think that's driving a lot of this uh, hysterical, you know, sometimes the w women are like, oh, I I've hit the epiphany phase. I'm, I'm, I'm 31. I'm going to work out. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to, you know, look really great and, and all of that. And it's like, well, that's good. But, you know, men aren't particularly fooled by that. There's a certain age where a woman who applies makeup just starts to look dustier rather than better. Yeah, the lip injections is a really big thing now, too. Everybody's getting... Uh lip injections even like you know 20 year old women your your lips were on time but you were five minutes late yeah that's not <laughs> that's not a good that's not a good situation the, at all um, the trend for much like i like using my face i'm sorry it's just it's really weird to me the number of girls um so i have epilepsy and one of the things that they did uh part of part of my epilepsy also causes severe migraine and i've had to do botox a couple of times and they do the Botox. It's 31 needle injections across the back of your shoulders, through the back. Um, it, they do a little bit across the forehead, but it doesn't freeze your face much. But I did notice a difference in my forehead slightly. And just that slight difference in my face being just a little bit frozen bothered me enough to the point where I was willing to increase my medication because I didn't want to not use my face. Isn't that um, sad? I mean, you can see this with actresses who are very skilled. But they've got that kind of, they, they look like a ventriloquist dummy, like the lips are moving, you know, but everything yeah. else, I'm really angry. I'm really sad. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, I'm really worried. And it's like, I really just prefer, give me some crinkled animation rather yeah. than this baby doll face neutrality. Yeah, I do want to clarify to those in the chat uh, for anybody who's criticizing Botox for migraines it actually really really does work and it's way safer than a lot of the migraine medication and i say this as somebody who does not like the use of botox because i don't like my face not to be able to move especially as a youtuber i'd rather age gracefully and have wrinkles um but again botox is really useful yeah i think it's worth noting the level of transformation you can do just through makeup and in the spirit of that, I have a 60-second TikTok video I wanted to show you guys. Sorcery. Uh, yeah, exactly. I want you to take oh, I note. I this woman. You've seen this one? So this is her at the start of the video. And then well, she's doing take, a voiceover to another that. woman's. She's doing a voiceover to another woman's audio. It, I think it's the same person, but I'm not no, sure. No, it's a different woman. It's a different oh. woman. Um, no, I, I, because I posted this, and uh, it, it is a lip, a lip sync to another woman who is intermittently hilarious and sometimes kind of tedious. And a lot of women have done this voiceover, but I think this is the best voiceover, although the original is very good as well. All right, let's give it a quick watch here. I don't know if you're supposed to put your contour on before the rest of your makeup or after the rest of your makeup. 
but it doesn't matter because men are stupid. So long as you look like a newborn baby, they are willing to mate with you. I'm poor. So I have this contour palette and this contour stick. I regret buying both. I must warn you, the transition from beginning to end might be startling. First things first, check your flesh. As you can see here, I have no flesh. Contouring is a very dangerous game. Once a man walked in on me while I was contouring, I had to pretend I was schizophrenic so he'd think that I was playing in cat shit and he'd leave me alone. It was a sad day. If the men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church. Eliminate the nose. You can pretend that you have no nostrils. Men will be bewitched and hand over their wallets. Men don't like nostrils. You want to look like a pterodactyl. Men love pterodactyls. Brilliant. All right. I have to say the voice matches. It's, she's face. really good. Yeah, she's really good. No, that's brilliant. So, I mean, a couple of things in that that are hilarious, of course. I mean, the whole thing is 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 very, very funny. But um, yeah, you can bewitch men into giving you their wallets. That, of course, um, fertility for resources. I mean, this is an old argument about economic asymmetry, which is like, I don't know, the worst name for a women's magazine ever. But the reality is that men have an excess of resources. We can generate more resources than we need to live, but we have a deficiency of fertility. And uh, because, you know, women have uh, an excess of fertility relative to the resources they can gather. And so men gather extra resources. Women provide fertility. And then men provide those resources in return for sexual access and for the raising of children. And it's funny, like when you break it apart this kind of way, it sounds, you know, all kinds of not romantic and so on. It's a beautiful thing. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Both people are adding value to the equation. You get the next generation, continuation of life, culture, reason, philosophy, Western values, uh, freedoms, and all that kind of stuff. It's beautiful. But that's the reality. So when she says, yeah, make yourself pretty and you'll get access to men's resources. The problem I have is that women are making themselves pretty, getting access to men's resources, and they're not providing, they're providing sexual access, but they're not providing the raising of the next generation. And the whole point is the raising of the next generation. Why, why do men generally have higher sex drives? Why are men willing to do stupid things to uh, Im impress women? Uh, why is it that men are so ambitious and will gain extra resources because we want women to commit to us and to commit to raising children, uh, to being co-parents and so on. So I think that's, to me, the deal that's a problem. The other thing that's brilliant in there is when she says, uh, if men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church. That is really brilliant because the war between the mammal and the spiritual is foundational. It's sometimes called the mind-body dichotomy. So we are mammals. What do we want to do? We want to expend the minimum amount of effort to gain the maximum amount of resources. We want to have sex. We want to nap uh, and all of that. And uh, that's unfortunately where a lot of people are living their lives down in the reptile brain, the mammal, mammal brain. They, they're not even becoming dehumanized because we can't be non-human. We can only be inhuman or anti-human. And so the question of the spirit, the higher values, the neofrontal cortex, the seed of reason, the post-enlightenment, post monkey beta buggy as hell upgrade to the human species is really being tossed aside these days in pursuit of, you know, pixel junk pleasures, pornography, casual sex, uh, ambition, consumption. Uh, we are really falling into uh, a, uh, a pre-human state when it comes to this. So when she says, if men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church, well, what does the Christian church say? The Christian church says beauty is fleeting. Spiritual qualities are what matter. Virtue matters. 
uh, and and instilling good values in your children matter. And those the, the flesh is the playground of Satan. And and this is kind of like a joke. Like everyone thinks of that old Dana Carvey church lady. Mm kind of thing. But it's it's very real that if we focus only on the mammalian, we lose our civilization. If we focus only on the pleasures of the flesh, we lose everything. And everything that was built collapses under our feet. So this is kind of thing where if men find out that we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church it's a very powerful statement. I'm not sure she, you know, diagrammed it all out, you know, Russell Crowe style, but it is a very powerful argument to say we must throw aside our addiction to mere physical beauty because it's not going to last. And it's not the foundation of a good relationship of healthy parenting. It's that old argument of, you know, this women almost take pride. I'm a hot mess. In other words, I'm so physically attractive that men will overlook the fact that I'm batshit crazy just to have sex with me and put me on a yacht. And I don't have to provide homemaking skills. I don't have to know how to cook, how to raise children, how to run a household. And again, I know this sounds like it was say, well, women can do more than that. Well, first of all, that's the maximum thing, because that's why we're all alive to do anything. And, you know, we're talking five to 10 years out of a woman's 40 or 50 year career to raise kids. There's tons of things that women can do outside of all of that. But uh, yeah, that, that's a really brilliant bit. And I, I did think long and hard about it, perhaps too long and too hard, but that's my sort of response to the the, the playing of it. Uh, Stefan, are you familiar with the term looks maxing? Like, I don't know. Um, so you, looks you maxing look is what... You look at me yeah, and you okay. ask me, looks maxing, you, ask, but... you dare to ask me if I'm, yes. okay, no, I don't really know. Okay. Look, looks maxing kind of, this is something LP, it's come up a handful of times in the past. So like gym maxing is where you go to the gym and you work out and you try to, so uh, one thing in uh, like the incel community that they try to, they try to teach guys is to uh, get yourself better, a better version of yourself, you know, read books, kind of get, get better looking, you know, get, get a clean haircut workout is one of them. Um, one of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is what level do you think, uh, we should, uh, we should try to make ourselves look better. I know that, I know that you're probably against hair plugs for men. Um, that's probably a very painful. My armpits. Don't tell the church. Anyway, sorry. Um, but there's, there's a lot of things that both men and women do, um, and have been doing for years, makeup aside, um, that we try to, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's, um, I mean, I, I have an argument about the high heels. I, I think I understand that high heels are the purpose that they serve, but I also don't think that humans should be running around flat footed either. I think there's a happy medium there. Well, no, um, humans should be because that's how we flat footed. That, you know, that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't okay, ever, well, you know, humans should also be shivering the cold, but I got heating in my house. Right. So I, I'm okay. fine for that. Well, ones with lordosis. Like, like myself, when I run around in flip flops, my back hurts when I wear like a one, one and a half and I'm five eleven, So I'm not wearing heels to be tall. So when I wear like a slight heel, just a little bit of a heel, my back doesn't hurt anymore. Um, sure. well, I you, also, you've got to be comfortable. So the, the question of looks to me falls into the old Aristotelian mean, right? Yeah. So if you don't take any care of your looks, you're a crazy homeless person with no social skills. So I agree with that. And and the other thing too, so you want to look good to attract a mate, but I've been married for uh, 18 years. I still exercise. I still eat well. I watch my weight. I weigh less now than I did when I was 18. Uh, you just have to take care of yourself because 
Otherwise, you're taking the attraction, the love, uh, the, the, the desire of your partner completely for granted. So, yeah, you want to take care of your teeth. You want to take care of your, your skin. I, I do. I use a moisturizer because, you know, I have very, very dry skin and it's Canada. So the uh, heating sucks all of the moisture out, turns into the, you know, us end of the Kalahari inside a house in Canada in the winter in particular. So you do want to take note of your appearance because... People sometimes, you know, the old thing, I can't hear what you're saying over what you're doing. If I showed up with, I don't know, full on Andy Rooney eyebrows, half my teeth missing, you know, this crazy, you know, half a, a, um, a crazy professor in back to the future hair and, and you know, wearing a, a mesh shirt or something and, and garbage strewn in the background of the studio, it would be like, okay, can't quite concentrate on what this guy is saying because his appearance is very distracting. And I'm thinking about that. Or, you know, we've all been to, I was actually, um, uh, I went to a gym yesterday and the greeter had really, really bad breath. And that's, you know, that's really, really off-putting. And I always think about that. Like, are you married? Is anyone telling you? Like, this should be the case, right? So, yes, you do have, but on the other hand, you can go full body selfie narcissist. You know, like the thigh gap obsession where women have to sit, put their knees together, and there's supposed to be a gap between their thighs. It's like, no, there's not really. And so I think that you do want to find the happy medium. I'll tell you what I think the happy medium is when your appearance is not distracting to people, right? So if you, like, let's say, like, you had shown up for this uh, Anna Kasparian style with, like, a string little top here and, you know, cleavage, and then it would be like, okay, that's kind of distracting for our conversation. And there could have been things that I would have done that would be, if I'd have shown up in a, in a thong or whatever, <laughs> I mean, it can be distracting and perhaps even a little off-putting. So to me, like, clear... Like, let your appearance stand out of the way of what it is that you're trying to communicate with people. Have a, you know, a direct middle of the road, middle ground appearance so people can focus on what it is that you're saying. And people who go for the extreme experience, uh, the extreme appearance, whether it's slovenliness or tattoos or nose rings or some sort of like the spiky uh, gelled up hair of the punk movement and so on. To me, it's like I can't really focus on what you're saying or who you are because your appearance is distracting. And I think if you want to connect with people, have an appearance that's presentable but neutral enough that you can actually get whatever you want to say across and they can hear you. A lot of uh, young men these days are doing steroids too. I just kind of thought of that. That's almost like the, you got the women doing the Botox and the tanning and the plastic surgery. You got men taking all kinds of supplements. Uh, they have these things called pro hormones, which are like legal steroids, basically. Um, and I, I think about that sometimes because I, I, you know, there was a story a while ago about a girl who they were talking about abortion in her college class or something like that. And she had raised some, that there was some negative side effects of abortion and she got kicked out of class and told, well, you can't say that because it might make people feel bad if they've had an abortion, you know? And uh, yeah, I, wonder... I remember when I was a kid, all the people saying, well, we can't really talk about toxic masculinity and the patriarchy or anything of like that because right. it make men feel bad. Yeah, exactly. You never hear it the other way. Like you would never if somebody raised concerns about the negative effects of steroids, no one would say, oh, well, there might be guys in this class who have taken steroids. You're going to make them feel bad. You know, I can't remember. Maybe it was birth control or not. But it was. you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Well, this is this is what happens a lot with my Twitter account. I'll keep this brief because I know I'm talking a lot. But so no, with my that's Twitter account, yeah, yeah, when I with my Twitter account, when I talk about don't make mistakes, 
right? Like, like focus, if you want to have kids, and I hope that you do, because it's a wonderful experience and we're all alive, you should pay it forward if you can. Focus on it in your 20s. Uh, don't defer it forever. Your eggs are going to age. You're going to spend a lot of, you're going to have a lot of heartbreak in your 30s trying to lock down a man, trying to get pregnant. You could have miscarriages. You could have FSH level checks. You got to spend dawn at the doctors five times a week. You got to inject yourself. You might have very expensive and painful procedures just to have, try and squeak out one or two babies. Uh, whereas it's, you know, easy as sipping coffee in your 20s for the most part, right? So when I talk about that, there is, of course, there's a pendulum, right? So there's people too young to think about it, like people in their late teens or whatever, although I think it just plants some seeds. Then there's people in their sort of early to mid-20s with whom the with whom the message is really, really important, right? Really, you know, it hits them in the right spot. And then there's people who are sort of women who are 40 plus who maybe don't have kids, and that is a huge giant wound that I'm just tap dancing Michael Flatley style in. And I'm, I'm aware of that. And unfortunately, there's just, I mean, what can you do? Can you sit there and say, well... You know, we really, really found out that smoking is bad for you, but we can't publish that because by God, there's a lot of people out there who've smoked a lot and they're just going to worry and they're going to feel bad. And, you know, red meat, maybe it's not as great for you, but, you know, we can't say this whole idea. We can't have any progress because some people are going to feel bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, we've got to be more robust than that. And we have to be able to talk about things that are bad. Yeah. You know what? If you've never exercised, your heart is probably a big ball of lard waiting to explode in your chest, alien style. But talking, well, we can't say that exercise is good for you because we don't want the people who haven't exercised to feel bad. Like it, this is a male female thing. And this tiptoeing around women, oh, they're going to feel bad if we talk about these basic facts. And, you know, if you say having kids are good, well, what about the infertile women? And it's like, what about the infertile men? Nobody talks about that. That, that certainly happens, right? Oh, this less less common, I think. But to unless me, okay. Unless, sorry, unless you no, say you it go ahead, please. Pejorative. No, you can talk about infertile men if you're saying it as a pejorative. Oh yeah, yeah. Like well, if you're right. mocking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, okay. So I I am a big fan of female equality. Obviously, right. I mean, I'm I'm married. I, I love my wife. I have a daughter. I want her to have all the opportunities in the world. So I'm not going to co-join female equality with female fragility. Screw that. No way. If you want to have equality, great. Get in the locker room and get ready for some honest talk. If you're going to pull the we want equality, but the moment you hear something you don't like, suddenly I'm a misogynistic bully and I'm making women feel bad. No, no, no. you got to pick one or the other. I'm going to robustly stand for equality for women. That's how I was raised, was to treat women as equals. And if I'm going to have frank truths that I say to men, I'm going to have frank truths that they say, I say to women. And women, if you want equality, you got to get used to hearing the truth. I, I get it's really tempting to play the shrinking violet bubble skin membrane about to break teary stuff. I get that's very powerful. But if you do that stuff, you can't have equality. And we all get that deep down. If you're going to play the victim card, you don't get the equality standard. And I think my Twitter feed and, and other shows that I do it's just kind of pointing that out. And I think that women, I mean, look, there's lots that men need to do to improve. And I talk about that, but women got to stop doing this Janus face. Like, you know, the, 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 we are strong and empowered, but the moment we hear scientific facts that make us uneasy, we're going to lash out, call you an incel and order not other women not to have sex with you. I mean, come on, you, you got to pick one. I think the problem is that men and women have, I mean, both of you know this, everyone in the chat knows this, is that we have different problems. So it's very easy for us to point to, I mean, it's like you can select data um, to 
to make it, you know, to show that things are unequal for men. And I see, you know, men in the manosphere do this, just like women in the womanosphere do this. Um, you can make things look lopsided for either side. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's annoying. And I think, you know, one of the things LP and I kind of both come together on is that we, we need to kind of stop fighting. You know, we, we named the show sex wars. I think it was kind of supposed to be kind of a joke a little bit. We don't fight as much as we intended. We intended to fight. I actually went into this hoping we'd fight a lot more, but we get along a lot more. I I have a, a couple questions for Steph, if I could, uh, Going going back to what you said about the the digital gratification and that what well, there's there's two questions that I like to ask just about every guest we have on here. The first is should the government be doing more to age restrict pornography on the internet? I am an anarchist. I am the least likely looking anarchist you're probably ever going to see. So for me the idea that the government is going to take over this kind of stuff and do it effectively and do it in a positive manner uh, is not is not great. The the way I think that we should try and deal with this plague of pornography that is increasingly hitting young people is moms need to stay home and actually be there. Like latchkey kids, it's you, good luck. You know, okay, well, the government's going to say you have to have this, that, or the other. Okay, well, you've just created a giant dark web black market for fake logins and VPNs. And, I mean, you just give give kids these technological puzzles it'll take them about 13 seconds to solve them like whatever it is you're going to try and do so sorry what my, is that my, my concern is if we say oh, if the government's going to fix it we don't look for other solutions what are the other solutions well how about children are less traumatized children are oddly really traumatized in the modern world because they're traumatized through absence a lot of times not through abuse in other words the moms go back to work after six weeks or eight weeks or, or 10 weeks or whatever, and the kids get dumped in daycare, which is absolutely brutal for children. Uh, it's, it's incredibly destructive to the pair bonding. They experience 20 hours or more a week. They experience symptoms of maternal abandonment, and they feel literally they go through the same cortisol and stress panic as if they've been dumped in the woods in the middle of nowhere. It is just brutal. So let's let stop doing that daycare is absolutely the wrong uh, the most destructive way in many ways that you could raise your kids father absence is brutal for both boys and for girls so let's hold men to a higher accountability for staying with their families and let's hold women to a higher accountability for choosing better mates stop going for abs and start going for stability the accountant may not be the most exciting uh, guy on the block but uh, nothing's more exciting than being abandoned by an alpha and rifling through garbage cans for for baby food right so we gotta we gotta change that we've gotta i mean find some way to get the government out of schools because kids are being weirdly traumatized in schools there's sex education with the most graphic and and horrifying things being taught to children uh, just in the new double digits of, of age. And uh, uh, to me, uh, same-sex agendas and uh, anal sex and, oh, just all kinds of stuff. It's really got to not be. Sex, the sex education should have nothing to do with the government. It should have nothing to do with schools anywhere. It's a sort of underground Me Too movement that's happening way, way too early. And so as a result of this, and of course, because children are being raised by peers, not by parents, you get this lowest common denominator, sociopath degeneration, to this Lord of the Flies situation. They pursue the mammalian, which means sex and drugs and rock and roll, because they get addicted to drugs or because they um, 
have exposure to sexual material or have sex way too early, they end up with no boundaries. And I think this is where the people like there's a there's a demand and then there's a supply, right? I mean, if if fewer people want to do porn, there's going to be less porn. And why do people do porn? Well, what are you watching? You're watching drug addicts and traumatized people uh, reenacting either, you know, the other thing too, sexual abuse in childhood, I think is quite enormous. I, uh, I was just, I published something not too long ago about how just in the black community, about half of black girls report being raped by a black male before they turn 18 as children. Uh, that's incredibly brutal. If you look at single mother households, single mother households have a higher incidence of child abuse over 30 times that of dual parent households, 30 times, not 30%, 30 times. A lot of times, I shouldn't say, I can't quantify that. A good deal of times, a man who's interested in a single mother is also interested in her children or is primarily interested in her children. And a non-biologically related male living in the same household is significantly, many, many times more likely to abuse children. And that is also occurring. Childhood is, I think, desperately wretched at the moment and uh, doesn't have any depth, doesn't have what we used to have in terms of religion and philosophy. Like I grew up uh, in the church. I went to boarding school. I went to school many times. I was in the church choir. And while I'm not Christian, boy, did we talk about some important ideas and some virtues and some values above and beyond our latest high score and some website where you can see live cam girls regardless of your age or whatever it is, right? So if we improve childhoods, if we start as a society to say, okay, we got to design what we do to be the very best for those who have the least power. You know, it's funny because the socialist and the left is always talking about, well, the disempowered, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the minorities. It's like, you know that you're talking about kids of all races, right? The kids have the least voice. They have the least power. They're not there by choice. They're not in school by choice. They didn't choose the system. They didn't choose daycare. They didn't choose for mommy to go back to work and for them to have robot milk pumped in a corporate toilet fed to them through a bottle in like some weird matrix way of growing babies in a vat. They didn't ask for any of this. And if we can't design our damn society to take better care of children and we try and play whack-a-mole with all of the symptoms of the terrible childhoods people have these days, we're going straight off a cliff. Yeah, wouldn't be wouldn't restricting porn better be a way of designing society? Just to push back a little bit, because I, I agree with everything that you're saying. The problem is there's nothing I can do about uh, uh, you know, a family where the kid's getting sexually abused or whatever. Uh, there's nothing I can do if other parents aren't watching their kids. Wait, what do you mean there's and, nothing no, you can do? What, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? Well, because it even has nothing parents, to do with hey, me. Even parents who I mean? watch their kids. There was like, a lady, can, I, I screenshotted a tweet just real quick. There was a lady that I screenshotted her tweet, and I'll share it with you later, LP. Uh, she homeschools her kids. They go to church twice a week, and her kid at church, in fact, the preacher had to get up and, and give a sermon about it, at church accessed from an iPad that had parental controls on the on the um, browser, accessed porn from another kid um, at church, and they like they went somehow they managed. So I understand what you were saying earlier, Steph. That it's just going to create a black like any. It's like the the locksmiths are always keeping up with, or the sorry, the criminals are always one step behind the lock company. Or you you know what I'm saying. Yeah, locks yeah, have yeah. to be one step. The lock pickers are lock uh, pickers. always one yes, step behind the yes, lock makers. Yes, right. Yes. Okay. So, but but this idea that there's nothing we can do. Ahead, Sorry, go LP. ahead. Sorry, LP was saying something, and I just wanted to say that no matter how closed down you keep your kids, it's never enough. It's never enough. I have these homeschool parents who are so religious, and they they tell their kids all this stuff, and they mm -hmm. still see anal fisting in church. 
I mean, my, this is not, we're not yeah, talking. I hope you don't have a show title right there. That would be, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, this isn't like, oh, they saw some boobs. This is like some disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's hardcore. And it's like by age eight is like the average, yeah, yeah, according I, to some I, studies, or 11 by other studies. But what, all, all I'm saying is I, I can do what you're saying in terms of my own family. I can do everything within my power to make sure my family is healthy and my and, and my domain is taken care of, but I can't do anything about the neighbor's house, really, can I? Okay, so I I'm, I totally understand what you're saying. You have authority in your own domain, but yeah, you can't really go kick in the door and, and do something with your neighbor's house. That is perfectly true, but there's a whole other sphere of influence, which is what we're doing now, right? So we're gonna do this show, this show is gonna be seen by tens or hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions over time. And well. each one of them is going to get a message, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll put this on my channel too, right? So each each of these people is going to get a message, right? So I'll give you a tiny example, right? Like in terms of how you can influence people, right? So I put out a tweet about Taylor Swift. And it became a very, very big a tweet. And I said something like this. I said, wow, Taylor Swift is turning 30. She looks great for her age, which she does. I hope she thinks about having kids uh, at some point you know, 90% of her eggs are dead by 30, 97% by 40. I think she'd be a fun mom, right? Couple of facts. Compliments. Nothing negative, nothing hostile, nothing derogatory, and holy thermonuclear kaboom, right? Over 4 million people, uh, you know, just were, were looking at it and 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 tweeting about it. And and I got uh, uh, George Takai, I think, chimed in. I got John Ledson's wife, Chrissy Teigen, throwing me some significant shade. I mean, it was really... It went, uh, I guess it went viral, right? Now, okay, so, you know, ooh, some people type some mean things. Well, you know, I grew up with a German mom. Good luck. Good luck beating, getting over that fence of, of uh, thick skin, right? But here's the reality, right? So I did the calculations. Even in a conservative way, if just a tiny percentage of women are like, huh, you know, that's interesting. Maybe I should find a boy who's going to commit to me in my 20s. Maybe I should think about having kids sooner rather than later, right? That's fine, right? So let's say it was just a tiny, tiny fraction of people. And let's say those people ended up, those women ended up having two kids that otherwise wouldn't have been there. I did the math. 60,000 people come into existence from one tweet. That's a medium-sized town from one tweet. Lindsay Shepard is a baby because of you. Wait, let's let's rephrase that just a little bit. Oh, uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> I really like Lindsay. Sorry, but let's sorry, be really sorry. clear um, about what we're talking you, about you here. Inspired, you inspired Lindsay Shepard to postpone her career and become a mother sooner. And I will say, I think that one thing, any women that are listening here, um, whether you're younger or older, I think it's good for women to mentor other women because women don't want to hear what men have to say quite often. Not all, right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I could lie. Um, some, some women will listen to other men, especially if they're, uh, they're used to having male mentors or, uh, or, you know, they have a strong connection with their fathers, uncles, um, whatever. I'm okay with that because I, um, I was in an industry with mostly male mentors. So it's, I'm more familiar with it. A lot of women, um, listen to women more. And I think yeah. not shaming and badgering, but, um, women who are interested in, um, and getting into their career, maybe do similar to what you did with Lindsay, which is, um, you know, kind of explain to her the importance of being a mother and maybe even asking them at a young age if they want to be a mother and having them 
if they're in a loving relationship with somebody that has resources and has the ability to support them, maybe them going ahead and postponing um, trips and postponing all the creature comforts that a lot of women in the West find to be really important and struggling financially, doing, doing little things, cutting, you know, cutting coupons, whatever it takes, um, living in an apartment, a, an extra couple of years to save up before you buy a home, things like that. Um, I think it's so, so many people don't realize how easy it is to have a kid um, and not be on welfare, not, you know, I mean, it, it can be incredibly hard. And I always hear these stories about it costs a million dollars to raise a baby. That's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't cost a million dollars to raise a baby. That's ludicrous. It costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of sacrifice, but it's so worth it. And when you're 90, I always talk about rocking chair theory. When you're 80, when you're 90, do you want to be sitting in front of a Christmas tree and cats? Or do you want to be sitting in front of a Christmas tree and a bunch of grandchildren, a bunch of children? Sorry, I'm starting to get emotional now thinking about my future. Um, do you want to have a bunch of loving, small people tell you how much they love you? Do you want cards sent to you? Do you want to have people fighting over who gets to take care of you when you're older rather than um, having nurses that you're having to push a button, hoping that somebody will come in and talk to you? Um, I really think that women need to think of that is how are you going to how are you going to feel when you're 80 and 90 and nobody loves you? You got to Not- plan from the end sometimes to the beginning. This is an old story about how to write stories, right? An old idea. How do you start a story? Well, maybe you start it at the end and you work your way backward. What's the final message you want? And you work your way backwards. And that's an important thing because we've got such a youth-focused culture and such a, uh, this is like the Disney weird thing, this inversion of culture, where in the Disney shows and the Disney, particularly the television shows, all the kids are super smart and super hip and all the parents, particularly the dads, are just out of touch boomers who don't know anything about anything and have nothing to say of any value. And all the kids are just, and this appeal to vanity is really crazy. Like older people have nothing to teach you. So it is really, really important to look back from the end of your life. And if you're not spending at least once a week thinking about your deathbed and, and the years leading up to it, man, you're not, you're not planning well at all. And I, I mean, I had not particularly great instructors when I was growing up, but I did find them in in libraries. And Jung talks about this quite a bit, and it was really quite influential to me because this is Jung, the um, uh, philosopher, the psychologist slash philosopher, but mostly a psychologist. So he said, like, the first half of your life is striving to carve out your territory and make a mark for yourself and and get your career going and and maybe start your family and all of that. But there's a consolidation part in the second half of your life where you are supposed to enjoy what you have created. You, you know, you, you tear out the roots of the trees, you plant stuff, but at some point you've got to take a walk and pick some fruit <laughs> in what you've built. And that was really important to me because there's very little that comes back from over the middle age horizon to younger people in terms of warnings, in terms of here's how you really should try and think about living your life in terms of, you know, when I was a kid um, in England growing up, we saw all of these ads about, you know, smoking and, and some guys, you know, talking from the hole in his throat. And we, we saw ads about uh, some guy with his face all mashed up in a wheelchair, you know, saying, well, I was only driving a mile drunk, you know, and, and this warning of, of what to avoid has almost completely vanished in the youth-obsessed culture. And people who are over a certain age, particularly women, vanish from culture. They vanish. And the lessons that they can instruct the young on, because we don't want to upset people, don't exist. 
there's an old funny demotivational poster, which is a ship, you know, upending and just heading straight down into the briny deep. And uh, it said, it could be, it could be that the sole purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. And when I put out a tweet, this is my second biggest tweet of, I think, last year was when I said, you know, ladies, you get mostly infertile at 40, but you live till 80. What are you going to do to fill those long, long years? And when you're, when you're 25 or 30, you have some weird idea that 70 is going to be something like what you are. And it's not. It's not. You're going to have trouble sleeping. You're going to have health issues. Your joints are going to hurt. I mean, geez, I'm only in my 50s and I'm pretty fit. But even every now and then I get this, you know, like I'm moving my body. <laughs> like, wait, what is that? I've been oiling everything. Like this weird little twisty thing. And it's like, oh, that hurt my knee a little. And it's like, you know what's coming. So this idea that you're going to be out there, you know, rocking a water ski in your 70s. Okay, there are a couple of freaks who do it, but that's pretty unusual. And what are you going to do when you can't climb a mountain? Well, you've got to enjoy what you've built. And it money ain't going to do it. And hobbies ain't going to do it. And pets ain't going to do it. And how are you going to get people interested in you when you can't offer them a job and nobody wants to have sex with you? You know, other than, you know, maybe somebody you built a life with. It's really, you know, when you're young and you've got all this energy and health and power and attractiveness and friends and so on, your friends are going to move. You're, you're going to move. Your job is going to move you. You're going to, people are going to die. And this idea that you're going to keep this same college circle of friends all the way through to dotage is a complete fantasy for most people. Who are you going to have around you when you're too old to attract people, when you can't offer anyone anything material or sexual or romantic? Well, it's going to be your family, the people you've invested in. And my God, I've seen this. I have seen what's on the other side of that middle-aged horizon to people who did not take care of their relationships. It literally is a living, living hell. You know, that tweet, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I share a lot of memes and, and funny, uh, you know, juxtapositions and stuff on my Twitter account, my Facebook page. And uh, there was a, a woman who had responded to your tweet saying, oh, I'm going to travel and enjoy my child-free life. And then on her Twitter bio, it's it said that I tweet about living with depression. Mm. So that you know, that was just well, kind of funny. so. What what the women were saying when I said, "Well, what are you going to do from forty to 80? And it's like, but there's always this cliche, "Living my best life." Like, I don't even know mm -hmm. what that means, right? But uh, it's all it's always about stuff that was going to be fun for them. Like, I'm going to travel. I'm going to write books. I'm going to attend workshops. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do. I mean, occasionally they throw in a little bit of volunteering, but you know that's not real. It was all just about what's going to be fun for them. What's going to enrich them. What's going to make them. Uh, happy, so to speak, but um, that's, are you going to have the money for that? Are you going to yeah. have the health for that? Come on. But the thing is, like, I mean, if if you build your resources and you live lean when you're younger, you can you can have all this fun through your children. That's the thing. You can travel with your kids. Like, um, my assistant is from Iceland, and she she like she goes to Iceland. She goes back there, and she she has just one little kid. She's younger. She's going to have a few more. Um, but she, like all of her photos on Facebook are of her child and like all of the things that she gets to explore in the world now through his eyes. And so everything she does is like stuff that adults take for granted, like seeing the, um, like the Northern lights. And, um, so I think it, I think it'd be a lot more fun to get to relive life through a child's eyes. And I think that's one of the, 
things that I'm looking forward to having grandchildren. And I think LP is like looking at expanding his family as well. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of the people in the chat seem pretty pro-family. Um, I just, I really don't understand this whole, I want to live my best life in travel. What's, what's the point of traveling alone? Like, I really don't get it. And just it, I don't understand this, how people want to have a lot of money and be alone. I just, I see no, yeah, I see no I had, draw to that. I had, so when I was, um, I guess in my early thirties, late twenties, early thirties, I was, I co-founded a software company and, and we sold it and, and things went fairly well. It ended up being bought by a company that went public and all that. And, but I broke up from a long-term relationship and I ended up just renting a room while I tried to figure out what the heck was going on next in my life. I, I just rented a room in a place uh, in Toronto that, that had a, a, a really huge gym and, and a really nice swimming pool and all that. And I remember I was, I went to the gym. It was just one of these coincidental things. The gym just happened to be empty. And then I went for a swim and the swim pool happened to be empty. And I remember thinking, okay, whatever I'm doing next in my life, let's say I end up some bazillionaire or whatever, right? I, I, this pool could be mine. This gym could be in my house. And it's about the most depressing thing. It's actually, I think, better to be poor and lonely than rich and lonely because um, it's easier to find friends if you're not wealthy. Now, I never did become super wealthy, but that moment where I just looked at that pool, swam in this pool, and I thought, how godforsaken an existence it would be to have all this stuff and be alone. You know, we, we are, we are dogs, not cats. We are social animals. We, you know, this is cliche from that old Jerry Maguire movie, you complete me. It's absolutely true. We are fragments. We are not whole in and of ourselves. You know, Ayn Rand fictional characters be damned. I'm just going to put it right out there and say, we are jigsaw puzzles, pieces. There's no complete picture when we are isolated. And this idea that everything was about, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to do that for me, for me, for me, for I. Boy, do you ever run out of staring at yourself and do you ever run out of the joy of introspection? And we alone, I've seen this again, people I know who've lived these solitary lives, they get a little crazier every year. We need other people's perspective to stop us from going off into space. You know, we need bounce back. We need feedback. We need people saying, mm, I don't think that idea is one of your best. You know, here's what I would suggest. And just sanding down, like we grow into these weird crystalline, uneven structures of, of um, eccentricity. If we don't have other people around to sand us down and sand us off and uh, alone, we go kind of crazy. And But it's too slow to really notice. It's not like you wake up one morning and you're batshit. Like you just get a little nuttier and then you get kind of hypochondriac because you don't get people to talk you out of the proportion of your aches and pains and so on. And you start um, pursuing particular paths of thought without other stuff colliding and coming into to maybe course correct you. And it just, and of course, I think people do nurse. Like I can't imagine passing that threshold to have children, realizing you've made a mistake and still have 40 years to go. Oh yeah. man. That's harsh. Yeah. I now I will say one thing that I, I try to avoid is um is is focusing on the fact that women have to have children to have a fulfilling life. I've met women that at 40 had had five miscarriages or had such horrible fertility issues that they had to see a therapist. Um, they ended up with, you know, medication addictions. Um 
And I, I've also met women who were such great career women that it, it really, they wouldn't have been good mothers. Maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't yep. their personality. I don't think that being a mother is for every single woman. And I'm, I'm sure, I think I've heard you say that before in the past that uh, you don't think a hundred percent of all women should just be out there having a litter. Well, you um, can do I, it physically. I mean, 10% yeah. of married couples have fertility issues. Infertility miscarriages yeah. are a huge exactly, issue. Yeah, exactly. 10%. Yeah. don't have, they have the regret of not yeah. having children, but they don't yes. have the regret of could have had children. Yes. Yes. I know that, I know in the UK, um, yeah, I think it's uh, 20% of women at 40 don't have children and 10% of those, um, I think it's only 10% of that 20% is it by choice. So a lot of people are under the impression that um, that all of these women who don't have children are just spinsters who had fun and screwed around. Um, and a lot of women will give the impression. I think that's the other thing. A lot of women who can't have children won't be public about it. Um, and I think there, you know, I've, I've had a couple of friends um, that won't be forthcoming about the fact that they've had miscarriages or that they've mm. had fertility issues. So people will dig into them and say, oh, you're gonna be unhappy when you're old. And they don't wanna say, look, I can't have children because it makes them feel like they're not, like they're not fulfilling their purpose. Um, well, but the so, other thing too, is it depends when you start, right? I mean, if you're gonna start yeah. at 35, then fertility issues are oh, gonna no, be I'm much talking, greater. I'm talking women who started like, you know, it. As early as mid twenties, like twenty three, twenty four. Is the is the data broken down that way though? Like a woman who's no, forty I, without I'm not kids, sure they about the fertility data issues. About they don't say usually when did you start, right? I, I'm not sure about when the data starts. What I'm saying is people that I know personally that I've discussed this with that have said they've they've tried. Um, sometimes I know childhood illness similar mm. to with men, men who had I believe it's mumps. Um, there's yeah, different illnesses. Uh, sterility as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then I know I know of a couple that. The woman thought she had for they live in the UK. She thought she had fertility issues, and they found that it was him. And they went through multiple rounds of IVF, and nothing ever stuck. Um, and that led to issues. Anyway, um, I know there are a lot of couples who just can't have children, and I know just for different reasons. Um, I don't think that every woman and every man should procreate. I think that we should have a society that protects families and that. Um, because I know a couple of people in the chat are under the impression that we're saying every single person that you're, I think that our species should continue to grow and should continue to, to, uh, to become better. Um, but I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that ever, or that any of us are saying that everybody's um, role in life is to just go out there and have a bunch of babies. I think that people that don't have children should support other families. Um, I know when I was much younger, my role was as a mentor for younger people, I didn't know what my, you know, I was a kind of a late bloomer as far as virginity was concerned. Um, I didn't know what my future held. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of, I helped other people with children. Um, and then somebody right there just said, my mom died in a home and her daughters, my sisters hardly even visited. There's, there's a lot of. Well, having children doesn't lot. mean that you're a good parent. I, Any more uh, so than being married means you're a great husband or, or exactly. A wife. So yeah, yeah. It, it's not it's not a magic. I, I've never ever wanted people to take parenting relationships and child relationships for granted. I believe that yeah. family relationships should always be voluntary and should be subject to the same quality requirements you'd have in friends and that you'd have in in lovers and so on. So yeah, you you should not automatically assume that your kids are going to be bonded to you through some Old Testament chain of theology until you die, because then you'll just take them for granted. 
and you yeah. will not treat them as well. I'm fully aware as somebody who advocates voluntary family relationships that my daughter could grow to be an adult and say, okay, that's you're, I'm out of here, Baldy, never going to see you again. So the important thing, knowing that uh, my wife could say that tomorrow too. So it's important for me to maintain the quality of my relationships. The free market is the only place where quality exists. And this weird fascistic uh, family bond, no matter what, uh, is really costing people a lot of quality in their relationships. And, uh, you know, boy, you know, if you get parenting wrong, you, you, you can't, you can't really fix it later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know we're, uh, we're running out of time here. I told Steph, we don't keep him for an hour. I do have, uh, the second I can question go over if, um, uh, if, if that's, if that works for you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I, this is a good conversation. I wanted to ask you, though, about the second thing I like to ask all our guests, which is, where do you stand on the hymen checking question? Explain. And if you're not familiar yeah. with this, a, a rapper named T.I. announced publicly in an interview that he takes his, from 16 to 18, he takes his daughter to the doctor to have her hymen checked to make sure that she is still a virgin. And I, I think there was something involved with like a trust fund that she would have access to at 21 or something like that. Provided, oh, But she, that she had to be a virgin or married. Is that right? Yes. Right. Well, um, it, it wouldn't be my choice. <laughs> it would not be my choice. Uh, I, I think that um, if, if you have a good relationship with your kids, and I don't know, of course, his relationship with his kids, although I guess you could say he's buying those checks by dangling a trust fund over her. But I think that as far as sexuality goes, the virginity or non-virginity to me is not the essential question. It's do you have a healthy relationship with sexuality? Do you have a healthy relationship with uh, love, with romance and so on? And, you know, you don't have to get married to the first person you sleep with. I'd be a hypocrite for saying that you you should, although I hope to tutor a lot better than I was tutored in, in this stuff. But if you have a respect for sexuality as the foundational furnace of the species and something that causes us to pair bond whether we like it or not. It is not a drug to be used to make you feel good. It's not there to serve your vanity. It's not there to serve your feeling for being needed. It's not there to serve your feeling for being loved. If we understand that, you know, that there can be medicinal uses, of course, for opiates, right? I mean, if, if you're going to have surgery, boy, you can stuff whatever you want up my nose to knock me out. I'm a happy guy. But opiates are not for recreational use. And in the same way, sexuality is very powerful in pair bonding, in, in love. It's the great playground of adulthood. It kind of almost makes up for taxes. And yet it's not there for merely recreational purposes. And trying to use it that way, I think, ends up with a lot of people being addicted because I think this is particularly true for women. That, And I've said this on my show before. A woman who gets a man by being sexually available. I'm not sure if she's shocked or yawning there. I'm not positive. <laughs> so the uh, comment, Scott, check to see if she's a witch too while you're down there. Wait, you? <laughs> she, she's laughing. No, they're talking about the hymen check. Troll with a purpose oh, said, Scott, okay, check to see if she's a witch too while you're down there. Right, right. So no, that's fine. I just wasn't sure if I'd shocked you or, or was no, putting you to sleep. No, I shouldn't so, reach out while you're talking. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. So yeah, I would say that... Um, it's, it's just not women who give up sex in order to get a man are acting in such a self-contemptuous way. And what they do is they say, because I can only attract him with my hole, it kind of puts a hole in their soul. And that that's a, a, a lit fuse to the bomb at the end of the relationship. And 
uh, women are wonderful and fascinating and engaging and particularly great conversationalists when when you when they get going and the idea that you would then just be attracted to a woman for sexual access. I mean, it is masturbating with another person's body. It is an act of self-contempt and steering women away from that. To me, you know, if, if a woman's not a virgin when she gets married, it's not the end of the world. What does matter, though, is if she has kind of thrown her jewel uh, on the open market and got almost nothing for it, I think that leaves uh, a, a kind of spiritual wound that... Um, well, we know. I mean, we know statistically that the more sexual relationships a woman has before she gets married, the more unstable her marriage is going to be, the higher the likelihood of divorce. And it's dick dose dependent, sadly. Like it's about as linear as as you can get. And if you had a woman who's had a whole bunch of sexual relationships, the chances of a stable marriage uh, virtually vanish. And that is uh, it's a painful thing. And of course, this is the other thing too. I talk about that stuff. And women who've, you know, rode the pogo stick all over the uh, the town, uh, you know, they're like, they get really mad. And and I'm sorry that nobody told them. I really am. I'm, you know, I can't go back in time. I can only be as honest now. They get really mad because, you know, there's an old Tom Cruise. I mean, the first big Tom Cruise movie was Risky Business. And um, he ended up interfering with the pimp's business in the movie. And to paraphrase, the pimp says, in a recession, don't ever F with another man's income. And when you start poking around the hornet's nest of sexual market value and you start telling men, look, if she's had a lot of boyfriends, like, I'm sorry, she's really, really risky marriage material. Now that makes women angry, frightened and upset. And I'm really sorry about that. Like I really am. Again, I can't go back in time and rewrite the sex ed curriculum from 30 years ago, but we do have to tell the truth about the facts that are there. And you know, much though it is harsh to lower people's sexual market value or marriage market value in particular, it's much harsher for men in particular to get dragged through the, you know, ass backwards, thorn bush, emasculating family court system because some crazy dysfunctional, unable to pair bond woman uh, woke, woke up on the wrong side of bed. So, you know, gotta, gotta protect the bros, so to speak. And, um, it, but it is really, really upsetting to people. I understand that. But the alternative is to be silenced by anxiety, and that's not good. I sort of feel like um, it's a little more, I give a little more weight to the types of relationships or sex partners one has had rather than just the sheer number. Like, um, I think it's more detrimental to someone who's had, say, maybe five to seven one night stands, and that's the only, or or very short relationships rather than someone who's had 10 to 15, say, say someone who's older, 10 to 15, but they've been, um, actual relationships. Um, not that 10 to 15 isn't a lot, that's a shitload of people to have slept with. But I think that if they were actual committed relationships, I, I don't know what the exact numbers would be. It just meant, but it means um, she has no idea what she wants. That, that well, that, really or that she doesn't give. Yeah. Cause to me, and maybe this is part of it's the germophobia kind of and the trust. Like I'm not going to let someone stick their body inside of my body because the trust and the germs and just the, it's disgusting. Like I see it as just from the grossness factor. Why on earth would you let a complete stranger put himself inside of you? That's so dangerous. And I know I, you know, I was made fun of as a teenager for saying things like that. And girls would say, Oh, well, there's condoms or there's this or that. It's like, no, you, you don't in know a this very guy. vulnerable position. Yeah. You know, yeah. with your legs up in the air, pinned underneath a guy you barely know. Yeah. Are you insane? 
Like what a danger. Yeah. What if he just turns out to be a Mr. Good Bar psycho? What if he turns out to be a stalker? What if he didn't tell you about some STD and, and you know, like it's not going to, the condom is not going to protect you from crabs for heaven's sakes. Or what if the condom breaks? Or what if he has some sort of psychotic break? Or what if, you know, what if he's ill? What if, like, oh my God, like get to know people before you let them put a the broomstick other... in you, so to speak. I say this to men, like, let's say that there was someone who wanted to put a broomstick in your butt. Would you have to know her pretty well before you gave her that opportunity? It's like, well, yeah, I think I would. Not that that would ever happen, but that's a way of understanding it from the woman's perspective. Anal sex seems to be a big theme on the show. <laughs> well, um, Yeah. And then, I mean, also the psychological effects of having an orgasm with another human, because it's such, I mean, all the chemicals that that are released. And I think that's how I'm going to explain that to my daughters is that sex is the most amazing thing on the whole planet is it's a drug and it's, it's intoxicating. And you need to make sure that the person that you have that with is somebody that you can trust and somebody that isn't going to break your heart. You don't want to, you don't want to have somebody that you don't love and that you, that's just going to leave you. And I know that sounds, that sounds dumb. Personally, I've actually slid to the far right on this issue where I think that people should need to just wait until they're married. I didn't think that before, but it's I think it's not since, a bad standard to start with for sure. I mean, I'm really to that point now. Um, now I've always been extremely conservative when it comes to sex. I, I so I wasn't like a hoe who kind of, who I didn't pendulum swing. <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of maybe LP might have a little more to to speak on on that, but um, wait, the man who are to my left is that who you're LP? <laughs> um, I, I definitely think that I think that's a hard standard for most people to hold themselves to in this day and age. But definitely, it's you should get married before you have kids. I, th yes. I think is well, a, you don't you don't hold out the, you don't hold out sex for someone to be attractive to you. That's like yes. only having friends when you pay for them to go to St. Lucia for the weekend, yeah. right? I mean, if, if you have to pick up your friends in a helicopter for them to spend time with you, then they care more about your resources than about you as a person. And, you know, any, any man who said, oh, yeah, I have great friends. I just have to make sure that I have, uh, you know, Green Day play at every concert. Otherwise, like at every party, otherwise they don't show up. It'd be like, well, then they're there for Green Day. They're not there for you. They're there for your money. They're not there for you. So you don't hold out sex as a reward for dating to, to find out if the man likes you as opposed yeah. to just likes walking around to, you know, a couple of ounces lighter uh, after 20 minutes, right? So yeah. that's the key is you don't, you don't offer up sex. You don't offer up money for people to like you because it's a, you, you were saying me alone, it's not, not interesting. Like me alone, I'm not worth it. Me alone, I'm not interesting. Me alone, nobody wants to be with, but I offer sex suddenly I have lots of attention. And that's really tough for women, of course, who have you know, natural curves or, or beautiful faces or whatever, or both. That's really, really tough. It's a tough thing to grit your teeth and say no to that, to find out if the man likes you or is just hanging around for the sex. And of course, the requirement for a marital commitment nipped that one in the bud directly. Yeah. That, speaking of that, there was something you said earlier that I wanted to touch on, which was you were talking about... Well, no, sorry, it was a bit earlier than that, actually. It was the men leaving the families and that women need to be taught not to go for these, you know, alpha guys who are just going to pump and dump or whatever. Um, I, I know, like, what you're saying is correct, but at the same time, I always want to point out or just annotate that with the fact that most divorces are initiated by women, right? And I think it, 
I've been told it's not true, but I feel like it is true. The same with relationships that women choose to leave a lot of the time. And I feel that that's just something that culturally it maybe isn't acknowledged as much. We have this kind of archetype of the deadbeat dad, the rolling stone, all that kind of thing. Uh, actually, women just leave a lot of the time, right? They, for whatever. And if you ask them about it, they'll say, oh, he was abusive or whatever. But no, no, ask, no. You know, the number one reason is is dissatisfaction. Exactly. The, the real reason is, oh, he wasn't present in the relationship or, or you know, whatever like it might that. be. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, okay. Sorry, go ahead. I, I have a friend right now who I, I'm hoping that it's more, but she, uh, I, I'll, I'll send you a link to a tweet. I'm ready to strangle her, but she's 32. Steph, we'll talk later. I'm you ready to strangle her. I'm, I'm happy. If you want to read no. the tweet, I can. Mm. No. Mm. Oh my God. I don't want to out tweet, her. Annika. I don't want to out her. Okay. Well, just, just okay. read the tweet. Yeah. You guys talk, you guys yeah. talk and I'll, and yeah, you, I'll okay. find it. So, so this is to take the, take this job and shove it. Right. So I've never been a huge country and Western fan, but when I worked up North gold panning and prospecting, I was trapped in a tent with guys who the only station they could get in the middle of nowhere was a country and Western station. And by God, did I ever learn to appreciate the storytelling heartbreak of country and Western. I mean, with lyrics like, uh, get your tongue out of my mouth, I'm kissing you goodbye. I mean, what's not to love about that kind of music, right? She got the gold mine, I got the shaft about some kind of <laughs> divorce thing. So there's a very famous country song called Take This Job and Shove It, I Ain't Working Here No More. And how many people have the kind of jobs that if they don't go, they still get paid? Well, not not many. I mean, you always think of movie stars. Well, you know, they don't have to, you know, Tom Cruise doesn't have to make enough money for the next 20 generations of his bloodline if he wants, but he goes and makes because he loves his job, right? So how many people right. win the lottery and keep their job? Well, for women, they can quit their job and still get paid. And that's a weird thing. You know, normally you quit your job, you don't get paid anymore. Or if you get fired, you don't get paid anymore. But women, because you got this crazy gynocentric legal system, they can uh, quit their job being a wife and they can still get paid. They can quit their, they can get fired from their job of being their wife if their husband divorces them and they still get paid. Now, if you have an economic system where you get paid whether you go to work or not, you've just changed the incentives to the point where you've completely destroyed all market incentives. You've destroyed consequences, cause and effect. So this idea, you know, out in California, you marry a woman for 10 years, you've got to support her for the rest of her life, no matter what. And um, that is such an insane system of perverse disincentives for the stability of families. You almost couldn't design it to disrupt and, and uh, destroy the family more. But of course, you know, the government loves putting money in the hands of women because they'll go spend it for the most part. Do you, on that note, do you think that there's any, is it, I don't know how to word this, but so the, the men's right movement, one of the things they push for sometimes is uh, the idea of like shared custody as a default in the case where families split. Uh, do you think that that's something worth pursuing at all? Like for society, culturally, do you think that we should seek legal or, uh, you know, legislative solutions to this? Cause I don't think like the government's going to stop giving welfare. Like, I, I, I get that that's kind of the problem you're pointing to, but I don't think that that's No, no, realistic. no. I'm talking about alimony and child support and all that kind of uh, stuff. Well, that, that's right? part of it, for sure. But the alimony and child support in particular. I mean, look, there, there is a big problem, and I completely understand the female perspective or argument regarding this, which is sort of my mom's perspective with my dad. 
which is, um, hey, you know, I, I raised the kids. I supported him in his career. I didn't earn my own money. Now I'm kicked out on the street uh, and, and I got nothing. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like, well, first of all, you were well paid while you were home, right? So you didn't do work that was directly economically productive by having and raising kids. But the man gave 90% of his salary to sustain the family. So you already ha you had a job. You got fired from that job or you quit that job. Now, again, I'm not talking about widows. Widows are a whole different thing. And you've got life insurance and, and that should all savings and that should all take care of that. But as far as divorce and goes, with you widows, should. Soci yeah, I'm society sorry? does. Sorry, with widows, society and churches often step in. Yeah, absolutely. There are charities. So. And listen. I mean, my heart goes out to to people who face that kind of situation. Again, I mean, any parent who doesn't have life insurance, I don't even know what to say. For heaven's sakes, get life insurance. Just stop listening to the show. Go get life insurance and then come back. But to me, again, a law is a, is a bit of a challenge. It does seem odd to me that the only contract you can unilaterally walk out on with no cause is the marriage contract. Isn't that weird? I mean, try just saying to your cell phone company, hey, man. I'm keeping the phone, but I don't want this plan anymore. Like, good luck with that. I'll hound you to the, try not paying your student loan. Try not paying your mortgage. You know, try try dining and dashing in a restaurant. Hey, man, I've had the food. Uh, I just don't really feel like paying the bill. Yeah, I mean, they'll call the cops on you, and you will get arrested, and you will get charged. And But you can split a marriage contract far more important than all of those combined with children as the primary victims of the emotional terrorism known as adult divorce. You can split that contract with no cause and no consequences. And for the woman, often very positive consequences in that she gets paid, even though she's not running the man's household, having sex with him, raising his children primarily, or anything like that. So it used to be up until, up until the 1960s here in Canada, you needed an act of parliament to get divorced. Like it was virtually, I mean, if you look at, at what Henry VIII had to do to get a divorce, I mean, it was really quite, you know, perhaps that's a bit more of a pendulum swing the other way because beheading is probably not the way to solve these issues. But we certainly do need a greater societal respect for the marriage contract. And one thing that I've said is that, you know, if, if, if you're married and people around you are getting divorced, you got to keep them at a really, really big distance because that that will spread, man. You know, like you, you don't let somebody coughing up blood around your kids and you should not let people get divorced around your family because there is a real drown and grab situation wherein somebody who's making usually a catastrophic decision to divorce, again, outside of direct abuse or, or addiction and so on, which is rare. But somebody who's making such a terrible decision like to get divorced, especially with children involved, they're on a self-destructive death spiral and they will most likely try and take you down with them. It probably will be unconscious, but I think ostracism is important. Let's stop being so unjudgy. You know, this is something that, again, as women have gained more prominence in society, somehow judging has become a terrible thing. And of course, you judge everyone who judges and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, we need to, if a woman or a man destroys a family, for no good cause, like the man just runs after some young tart at the office or the woman just says, I'm bored and divorces the guy. <sighs> like the you're dead to me scenario really needs to be strong in that. And you hear about that and it's like, nope, you are not fit for decent society. Like, I'm sorry, you just pulled a grenade on your kids. And most people who get divorced regret it. Five years later, when they're interviewed, they regret getting divorced. It was dumb because they, you know, the grass is greener. It ain't, it ain't. It ain't. If, if you loved someone enough to get married and have children with them, for God's sakes, make it work. 
sit down, do whatever it takes. It's never an option to, to throw the D-bomb into a relationship. You can't do it. You can't threaten people that way. Find a way to work it out. If one or both of you needs to grow up, then grow up because it's not about you. It's about what's best for your kids. And once you put your own needs aside and focus on what's best for the kids, your life becomes a whole lot simpler. And we just need a lot more social condemnation of people who get divorced. Like, I mean, I'm I'm avoiding movies with with actors who've been divorced. Like, I want them to pay at the box office. I I avoid doing business with people who've been divorced. I mean, I want my dollars to go to families that have stayed strong and stayed together. And we just need, as a society, to start judging and ostracizing people a whole lot more because that's going to be for the betterment of the kids in general. Yeah, I'm I gonna, always say that too. Did I'm you find ask your tweet, Danica? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it verbatim. You can paraphrase it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So she's meeting up. There's they're physically separated, but they're not legally separated. They're trying to figure out whether or not they're going to go through with the divorce or reconcile. She is 32. She's very attractive. Very. Her family is very wealthy. She has a very good job. Um, she was asking people for advice on. They were going out to dinner together. They're like I said, they're physically separated, so they're not living together. Um, she was asking for advice on what she should say to him because she's still very much in love. Uh, I don't believe either of them have cheated. I think because he had a slump in work for a long period of time, I think she just got bored. Uh, I no, think they the slump in, no, the slump in work is um, it's the equivalent of the woman putting on 50 pounds. Men need okay. to be productive to remain attractive because the deal okay. is resources for fertility, right? So if okay. he's having a slump in work, uh, she is going to lose respect for him. Uh, this is just one of sense. the challenges that happens. But anyway, go on. Um, I had DM'd her to get drunk and get pregnant because she said she's still in love with him. <laughs> no, she's still in love with him and their resources are not, not an issue for them. And she's like, I'm only, she goes, well, I'm 32. I said, it doesn't, I don't care. Get pregnant. I said, do you have fertility Wait, what does issues? Do you have to do with it? I said, get pregnant. I said, get yeah. pregnant and deal with it. I was like, if you have issues, I know she's doing, I know finances are not an issue. I know she has health insurance. I know she has a good job. I was like, get pregnant. I was like, and after you get pregnant, as soon as you heal, get pregnant again. And she's like, but what? I go just have some babies. I was like, you guys love each other. You're doing fine. Money's not an issue. Just get pregnant. She's like, well, I don't know. What if this or that? I go get pregnant. Wait, Shut wait, up, if she loves him, yeah. if she says she loves him, yeah. Why are they separated? Like what I, happened? Yeah, no shit, right? No like, shit, why, right? Why are they, I mean, you, you, you tough it out. You work it out. Yeah, like, I, I know. don't know if people expect this ideal life. I See, that's what I think. Like, and it, what are you it frustrates me because they're such a good couple and there's really no reason for them to divorce. She'd be a great mom. Well, and you're, she's going to give up. You're quintessential white couple that are like <laughs> suffering from affluenza. How long have they been a couple? A long time, like it, like probably, five years, ten years, yeah, more, uh, like five to seven, probably. Okay, now, now I don't just mean married; like I mean a couple. Um, more than five. Okay, more than five. So it's going to be. I mean, this this is the math for the woman, right? And you know, the get drunk and have a baby is is one one option. I might you know massage it a little bit more and, and say she's thirty two, right? So she gets yeah. divorced. It's going to take her a year or two to get divorced, yeah. and then it's going to take her half the length of a relationship at least to be even remotely emotionally available to someone else. Yeah. So 32, let's say, we'll, we'll oh, make no, it she's conservative, still in love right? with him. Oh, okay, no, but, no but, but let's just play it out, right? How it goes yeah. from here, right? She's 32, she gets divorced. Let's say she can get divorced in a year. Now she's 
33. Then they've been together for seven years. So she's going to need three and a half years of not dating to get her heart back in the right place to even remotely be able to pair bond with someone else. So now she's talking almost 37 years old when she's starting to maybe get into a relationship. Now she's going to need to date the guy probably for at least a year before getting married. Boom, 38, 39. Then she's going to get married. Does she want to have kids right away or do they want to get used to living together? Well, maybe they take another year. 40, 41, no kids, no kids. So this, this is like, this is your make it or break it moment, right? You make it work with this guy or you give up the idea of having kids for the most part, or you end up jamming yourself into some new relationship, which is going to be far less stable than your existing relationship because you've got the heartbreak of your existing marriage to process while you're with some new guy. Plus, you're wealthy. You know this guy's with you because he loves you. Maybe the new guy's around because he kind of wants some of that filthy lucre, right? So that's not a good plan either. So this idea that there's something better that's out there, and this idea that you're going to somehow sail through life and it's just going to be fine, and you're not going to need to tough it out. Yeah, your guy had a real career slump. That sucks. Maybe there was an aspect of his personality you didn't particularly like, but guess what? There's probably an aspect of his your personality that he doesn't like so much. You embrace the whole person. This is not a buffet. You fall in love with someone. You take the whole deal. You take the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, the highs, the lows. That's the deal. There's a reason why they say for better or for worse. I mean, I've been trashed on the internet. I've had cancer. I've, you know, like, I mean, but we're, we're together. You, you stick it through because the alternative to sticking it through is to fade and to fall. And you know what? You're going to get married to someone. They're going to have health issues. They're going to have problems. They're going to have someone die that's going to make them depressed for six months. What do you say? Like their mom dies and, and maybe they've got unresolved issues or maybe they loved her desperately and they fall into a depression. Maybe they have incredible potential, but they haven't achieved it and they get depressed about that. And maybe they are depressed for six months. Maybe they go through a period of anxiety. Maybe they, the job is hanging by a thread and they feel helpless. And that's life. That's life. You've got money. You've got youth. You live in a free society, at least relatively. If you can't be happy with that, just give up on the idea of happiness. That's fine. If you can't be happy with someone you love when you have lots of money, and you have relative youth, and you have a, a love in your heart for some. If you can't be happy with that, okay, fine. Then wander off into the desert, but recognize there's not going to be any other damn oasis out there. That you're just condemning yourself to a monk-like lashing of the back, self-flagellation, misery pursuit for the rest of your damn existence. Go sit down and work it out. You can work it out with just about anyone who's not, obviously, I mean, he was sane enough for you to get married to him. He's got to be sane enough to stay with. And the last thing I'll say is, I said this one, uh, was best man at a friend of mine's wedding. I'll give you the really, really condensed version of this. The day of your marriage, the day when you look across the aisle at the man, the woman you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you're hopefully going to raise a family with, you're going to grow old with, which has its own set of issues that you can't even fathom. And I can't even fathom it as yet because I'm sort of still middle-aged. But when you sit across, that is your marriage. That day is your marriage. Everything which deviates from the happiness and commitment of that day is kind of like a hiccup, like a wrong turn. You know, like your GPS recalculating, you idiot, you took a wrong turn, you're going to get back on the path. That is your marriage. And any time that people who are married feel a sense of boredom or distance or alienation, crack open the wedding album. 
Look at those pictures. Look at that happiness. That's your birthright as a married person. That's what you have to work at. That's what you have to get back to. That's why you got married. That's why you got married. Married is not technology. It's not something, well, this computer's kind of slow. I'm tossing it out. That is your marriage. You can always have that. If you're willing to negotiate and work for it, you can always have that same bliss that you had on the day of your wedding. You can have just about every day of your life. And if you accept the whole person and you love the whole person, look, we all have ambivalent relationships, even with ourselves. There are parts of ourselves that we like and parts of ourselves that we don't like. We have to take the whole personality. This is not a buffet. And you have to take the whole person. And this idea that you're going to run out of this, betray your vows, betray your love, betray everything that you hoped for, and then just go and have some magical perfection with someone else is an absolute delusion. But the devil puts there to have people run straight off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, as somebody who recently got married, I think that's a really lovely sentiment for Shit, us I'm really to glad you didn't on. say recently got divorced, man. That no, was, no. That I, would be kind of awkward. I was, I was actually getting a little bit emotional myself there listening to you. So I, I think that's a nice uh, note for us to end this on. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time today. We'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Um, After yeah. your audience recovers and you get the inevitable <laughs> troll mail about what an evil guy I am. No, listen, yeah. I really appreciate it. It was a really enjoyable chat. I hope I didn't blather yeah, on too much. Uh, and uh, it was no, a great we liked pleasure. You. It was a great a pleasure bit. to have you, you on. And uh, listen, Annika, yeah. your friend can call me. Yeah. I, I do this I, all the time. I do. And I'm, listen, yeah. just, I don't do private shows, but if she's desperate to, to keep anonymous, maybe yeah. we can work it out. Right. But, yeah. but just, you know, have her call me. There's no yeah. reason. To get I'm going to give her. Yeah, I'm going to give her your information. Good. Thanks very much, guys. A real, real great pleasure. Uh, if anybody wants to check out more of my show, freedomain.com. And for my listeners, yeah. um, where can they find y'all? Uh, so I put links to everything in the description of this video. Uh, so and you have the link to the YouTube channel. So I, I also put links to Stefan's Twitter and YouTube for people yeah. who want to find that. And then there's links to Annika and, yeah. and my YouTube. Annika Skywalker is the name I use. I'm not a Star Wars fan anymore. I grew out of that. I grew up. I decided I didn't like being a virgin anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. A real pleasure. Have a great afternoon. All right. Thanks. Bye.